much for everyone here for joining us and sticking with us for this Q&A. So first of all, Pablo and Tyler, questions to you. Um, I wanted to first ask you how you came across the festival, why, and how you got the idea of filming it, but also in the process, because I assume you got to know the, the team behind it and so on, um, if you've noted, if, if you can tell us a few words about who this festival is for, if there was a chance it might be preaching to the converted, or if the festival managed to reach out to a larger population to inform them about the history of Chile, the history of Latin America, and the purpose of this festival and the way uh, these issues resonate in the rest of the world. So uh, thanks, Abla, and um, thanks all for coming to watch the film. Uh, so this festival um, is a festival that I've actually been going to for a few years. It says it started in 2005. Uh, I think it's been every two years, generally. And sometimes there was 2022, but there'll be a sort of shorter one this year to mark the 50th anniversary of the coup in Chile. Um, so I've been maybe to five of those festivals. So I guess I knew it. Um, I knew the festival had been, I guess I'd spoken at it. Uh, I've got a, a sort of platform that I run, uh, had, had a presence at the festival, and I knew about it. Uh, and I guess I, with my filmmaker hat on, had always thought that it was something that was worthy of uh, making a film about uh, with Tylo. So Tylo and I um, made a film, well, we've been working for a long time, but we made our first joint film, I guess, in 2016. Came out, our first one, this is our second, and it came out, although we worked on other projects, but I guess as co-directors, uh, first film that we filmed in Havana in 2016, um, and it was called Truth about women, Fark Gorillas negotiating peace. Uh, in Havana and the last few months of the Colombian peace process which took place in Havana. And so, yeah, this was a kind of second project. After five years, um, I kind of spoke to Tyler, we decided that um, it was worth going there with our families actually, with his children, my children, um, and we decided to also try and, you know, capture some of the spirit of what that festival was about. So, yeah, that's how it kind of came about. Thank you very much. And so, did either of you, uh, who, who, who are, who's the audience of the festival? Uh, did either of you notice, well, probably you, Pablo, if you've been uh, five times, notice a shift in who this festival appeals to? Has it had a wider appeal as the years have gone by? Uh, <coughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I think the festival is what I know of, of that town, Hunter. It's a town that is quite kind of in the Spanish of the word called alternativo. So there's you know there's a you know there's a community around that town that are kind of into the sustainability center, the environmental center that's nearby. There's a whole, like, I think there's a community that's very much into, you know, this sort of sustainable living. Uh, and I think, even though it's sort of inspired by the memory of Victor Jara, and Tony is, I think, one of the drivers of the festival, I think it appeals 
on one level as a music festival that brings Latin American music to a town that wouldn't normally have these type of uh, performances. And then I think in the spirit of, you know, Victor Hara that fuses politics and music, similar to, I guess, what we saw in that first documentary by Carolina, about these initiatives where that, that intersection between politics and music is, you know, it's kind of like a fine line that's very kind of fluid. Um, I think this festival always has a political element to it. Um, and so who does it appeal to? I guess it appeals to the local community on one level in a musical sense. It appeals to lefties um, in another sense. Obviously you have Jeremy Corbyn attend, uh, sort of major figure of the British left. So lefties from Wales and then around the area would come. And, you know, Latin America would come. So I think it, you know, it kind of depends on who's there, but broadly speaking, it, it kind of appeals to uh, environmentalists, you know, social activists and sort of left, lefties, if you want. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, perhaps you've got, I've got a question for you. Um, if you could tell us a little bit more about your involvement with the festival. Um, and I'm curious as well, um, as a musician, what's been the reception you've had? Has it, um, has the festival kind of opened doors for you as well as a musician with your family? Yeah, yeah. thank you very much. Firstly, uh, I'm very grateful, uh, firstly, to Paolo, Paolo, uh, for inviting me. Uh, and I could watch the, the, the film. I didn't expect the, to watch a lot of uh, from us and my family. Thank you very much. Also, I would like to tell a little bit about our experience, our first experience, uh, being as a musician in Mahanguit. Um, it was so great. <coughs> no, a beautiful town, because it's all the small town preparing this festival. And it's in Spanish word, and Sueño existe. So it's uh, and people from the town, they speak Welsh. So it was my impression. Firstly, arriving there between the mountains, for me was magical. So magical. And meet the people there. So normally, as artists, um, we expect that festivals, they have sponsors. Normally, big sponsors, uh, well-known brands, you know, they support women. But this festival, has an all a sponsor, so people from the town uh, are organizing the festival through the year or two years they have uh, to meet uh, now online as, because it changed a lot. But can you imagine years before they could meet uh, and organizing? So it's a great job for them, uh, especially for Tony and Polly. I could approach more. Yeah, by them because uh, yeah, we know each other uh, for a long time, but I didn't know exactly how was the, the great job that they do. Uh, they they are doing actually because they are preparing for the next festival every two years. So uh, the words are very. I can't explain how is uh, magical all the efforts that the people do. There is all involved about around that, like uh, Pablo said, are very sustainable people and um, small 
business or food, uh, vegan food, vegetarian food. Uh, well, it's a really, really incredible experience. I invite you all to have this experience because it's, uh, you can meet uh, about the speakers talking and the films about their, about everything about uh, the life and uh, how is the justice, the, all that is happening actually in the world. Uh, where a lot of things, I couldn't see all of that because in the same time, were the different areas in the small festival happening. So we couldn't see music as well. There were a lot of uh, uh, musicians, so we couldn't see all of them. But we need more a week probably to extend this festival. It's so beautiful. We sold it. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Questions for Francisco. Um, the first one is kind of the obvious one, um, is just to tell us about your own experience of the festival, how you got on board and how you found it. And if you've been a few times, how you found it, how you evolved. It's, it's a town which is impossible to pronounce. I remember when I was on the phone, I was trying to get a train ticket <laughs> with my accent and I was saying something like Mahanath and they asked me again where exactly do you want to go and it says in Wales it's Mahanath anyway eventually I got it <clears throat> it's a beautiful place really really beautiful place I get invited regularly, uh, being an academic and having read a few books. And it's very nice to make a contribution and to have an exchange and interaction with audiences. It's very inspiring. The combination of this kind of music, it's not just music, it's this particular type of music. You know, when you play the Samponia, as you did. The sound is the sound of the mountains and it grabs your heart. No matter whether how cold you might be, it definitely gets to you. It elevates you. It calls you the pills. It's sort of nice, harmonious. This so that's one aspect of the music. And the other one is the lyrics of the context of the letters of the music that people actually perform. And that combined with the various workshops, discussions, plenaries that take place that we saw there with Jeremy. And at the level of politics, extremely rich. I mean, it covers everything and the competence of those who participate. There's dozens of them. You know, I'm not talking about me. But it's dozens of them, and the contribution that they make to bring us up to date in terms of understanding is just very, very useful. Because we learn from each other in that sense, and the questions the audience asks is fantastic. Just to finish with this point. In the last one I participated, I remember there was a discussion about Bitcoin <laughs> in El Salvador. So that gives you an idea 
that you know how up to date, how well informed, how on the edge actually is this festival. Um, and the most moving thing is that you know when you learn the dream goes on that Sony existed, and it's an homage every time that is paid to Victor Hara in the middle of Wales, in the depths of Wales, you know, where you see ships and mountains and green and so on. It's just fantastic, isn't it? Or as we say in London, isn't it? <laughs> so all of that together is just amazing. And to be there every single moment, as we saw Tony running around like a headless chicken, <laughs> organizing things, it's, it's just brilliant. That's my experience. Oh, that's great. Um, I have perhaps a few more questions, but I'd like to open it up to the audience, if possible, if anyone's got any questions out there um, to our guests. If you want to raise your hand. Actually, I've just realised, do we have a roving mic? Or we, we do. Oh, fantastic. <coughs> Uh, yeah, please. Uh, yeah. The festival, um, the dream lives on, you know, we, live the, we need to live this dream, everyone, and this festival appeals to everyone in the world who want a peaceful, equality, justice and freedom for all. This appeals to anyone in the world, and, and my question is, how we the people can counteract the horrific actions of the far right, the governments, people, how they are attacking our own governments, democratic elected <coughs> governments, our own people, killing young people because they are defending human rights, killing young people because they are defending uh, um, the environment, how can we counteract to that? We are many. The oppressors are few. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'd like to answer that confident, uh, giving their own perspective on the matter. I'll have a go. Advice. <laughs> um, it's about all worlds, isn't it? Yeah. And the only thing we can do is to fight that. I remember in 1973 when the coup took place, and day after day, week, week after week, we were learning. Do you remember Eduardo, you know, on the phone? Since you do, he's been arrested. We do not know where he is, and he disappeared. And then somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody, somebody else, every time you came out from the house to do things as we did. You never knew whether you would come back. You know, I was lucky to be able to come back. Many didn't. And I could not imagine that actually we'll be able to see hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in the streets of Chile, in Santiago and other places, marching, militantly to the rhythm and the music of Victor Hara. So we have no other choice. And the difference between what is going on in Chile and what is going on in 
rest of Latin America is this. In Chile, the coup d'etat was so brutal and so transformative as in the previous film we saw it transformed the country completely. Chile is not the same country. In other words, they persuaded the masses, and I think this is still the case to a large extent, that they have to be neoliberal. Whereas the coup d'etat that had taken place recently, constitutional coup, or anything else we've seen, the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff, and the imprisonment of Lula, the overthrowing of Manuel Serrano in Honduras, and so on, the right wing cannot consolidate because people fight back and they recover democracy much, much more quickly. In Chile, it's taken two generations, we're still not there. Whereas in other places, we can back very quickly, such as in Bolivia in one year, such as, you know, in Brazil in four years, fighting somebody like Bolsonaro. So I don't have a prescription, but just I know that even if some of us get coward enough not to fight, we know that others will fight, and there is no other solution. And in order to fight in Latin America, we have to be together. If the countries coalesce together in Latin America, we are invincible. If we are divided, they will, we will pick, be picked up one by one, never again. Do we have any other questions from the audience? I think my reply was too intimidating. <laughs> well, in the meantime, um, sorry, I'm going to have you speak a little bit more. Could you, in a few words, sum up what the situation in Chile is at the moment? Because it's not been in the news recently. There was a period of maybe, what, a year or two ago, where when it was, now it sort of disappears, we pushed to the side. It's very hard to know through the media we get get a clear picture of what's going on on the, gr on the ground. So in your experience, could you tell us briefly what's the situation now? Yeah. Uh, don't consult the mainstream media. It's a complete waste of time. Um, I mean, the level of decomposition, in my view, of the mainstream media in Western Europe, but also in the United States, is, is incredible. I've never seen this before. I've been around some time. I've never seen this level of rottenness as you know, we see it every single day. I want to be extremely careful about my answer regarding Chile. I think we nearly, we structured this extraordinary concession from the most neoliberal government, I think, on earth. Mr. Piñera. And the concession we structured was to have a constitutional convention elected by the people. We got that in the streets in order to actually produce a new constitutional text to substitute the current 1980 constitution which was you know, instituted by Augusto Pinochet with a few reforms in between. And we nearly got there. When the convention, Constitutional Convention was working, there was a focus 
and the whole country was concentrated there, and the right wing was making concession after concession, such as, you know, the um, contributions in the pension system. The masses got 10% and 10% more, then 10% more. There was going to be more. Imagine that is a serious blow to financial capital in Chile, obtained by the masses, which is extraordinary. And then we lost a referendum. I don't think we should draw up pessimistic conclusions about that defeat. I want to include myself in this when I'm going to say we failed to win that referendum. But not everything is lost. The constitutional process hasn't been, is not dead. There are initiatives that have been taken. And I think we have to be patient, regroup, reorganize, fight back, and get that constitutional convention, win that referendum, and produce a constitution which is anti-neoliberal. It's the only humane thing we can do. Anything else would be a betrayal. So, I say that with humility because I know people in Chile are fighting. I'm just here commenting. But I wish them all the, all the best. And anything I can do from here, I will certainly do. Really quickly, a quick point on what Francisco was saying about you know, the question around what, what to do, and that's obviously a million dollar question, and Francisco said about the no uh, option but to fight, and that's absolutely, I think, the, the thing that, the, what you take from Latin America, really, is that in Bolivia they overturned a coup in, in less than a year, a coup that killed, you know, repressed and killed 30, 40 people. Uh, and I think if Bolivians can do that and stand up to a sort of violent US-sponsored coup, that should inspire people in the UK and in Europe to also stand up against what's taking place here, but also a far-right government, because I think it's important not to, it's to call things what they are, which is a, a, certainly a, a far-right government that we're living through. And uh, to draw inspiration from places like Colombia, which has uh, elected its first left-wing government since the Republic in 1810. And so I think that if Bolivians can overturn a coup, if Colombians can elect a first left-wing government in the face of a vicious ruling class that butchers uh, its social activists and all those that want any type of social uh, change, progressive change, then I think that sh should inspire people in places like the UK to also fight against their own government, as uh, John McAvoy, who I thought it was important that we include his talk around what the UK does, because obviously we all know, or a lot of people know about what the US does in Latin America, but what the UK does in Latin America goes very much under the radar, largely because of what Francisco says is the dereliction of duty of the mainstream media in not reporting and misreporting uh, Latin America. So if they can do that, we should also challenge our government, challenge what they do in Latin America, because by doing that, we also help Latin Americans uh, embark on their own democratic processes of change. I cannot resist this. So my apologies in advance. I went to a meeting in Liverpool, Labour Party Union, progressive people. And I was answering questions about Latin America. 
And I realized that the question is where, why do you do things not perfectly? Your own mistakes, things that are not right, you know, and so on. And I was thinking, hang on a second. We are winning elections, aren't we? And I remember in my reply I said to them, we win elections, we recover very quickly, the left comes back, when are you going to win an election? I asked them, and I said, you know, the one thing that we don't say much but we don't like is to be told how to do it. The reason is we do it more than anybody else. You know, we make more revolutions than we have in the world. And I said, so please help us, but do not try to give us lessons. Because, you know, we, there is this issue of the national sovereignty. And I said to them, and provocatively I said this, you have to understand that we are ferociously Republican in Latin America. And you have a monarchy in this country. But let me reassure you, I said, we are not, we are not organizing an international Latin American Republican army to come over and liberate you from your feudal <laughs> remnants. We will never do that. That's up to you to resolve. So we are getting there with all the imperfections that are inevitable. But, you know, we are in the vanguard of the world in Latin America. We are rich in resources. I don't want to come to the conclusion that we, sh we can teach the world how to do it. Although if somebody asks us, we might give a piece of advice <laughs> without being arrogant. But honestly, if you think about it, we are at the top of the range, winning and winning. And every time they hit us back, we stand up again and come back again until we get what we want. And this is extremely important. So we're a beacon of democracy and social progress in the world. This is a instead of weapons, we need instruments. We need uh, singing about the war, the, the love, about being, being living together. And uh, this instrument is called Ukumanta, uh, that means uh, from the deep place, so probably it's our heart. And the melody is called Sonko, Sonkoi. That means in Ketra, um, Corazon, heart. For in honor in the lives that the uh, people in Peru. <laughs> 